Welcome to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Sunday, June 23rd, 2019, and we are live tonight. We're back on the air live, okay? Uh, I have been off for a couple of weeks. Last week, you know, I was speaking at the uh, Juneteenth Festival in Atlanta. Okay, that Bob Johnson organizes. That was June 14th through the 16th. So if you're watching uh, on Facebook, you're watching on YouTube, you're watching on 910 AM Superstation Online, you see my Juneteenth uh, parade and uh, festival uh, shirt. This is where I got this from. So um, I was speaking there, connected with a lot of my listeners. I was uh, doing presentations that Saturday and Sunday. So that was a busy weekend, and then the uh, weekend before that, we were off. I don't even remember what was happening. I think I showed. Oh, I think I showed was preempted by the hockey game. Okay, but okay. Anyway, but uh, that happened. All right. So um, then yesterday, you know, it's been a very very busy few weeks, right? So yesterday, uh, well, we know Juneteenth happened Wednesday, June nineteenth. Okay, and in the House of Representatives uh, House Ju uh, Judiciary Committee, there was a uh, congressional hearing on H.R. 40, okay, H.R. 40, House Resolution 40, to uh, form a commission to study uh, slavery, the damages of slavery, and to come up with recommendations for reparations. So that happened on June 19th, uh, Wednesday, June 19th, 2019, and it, it was historic. It was the first time in 10 years, at least 10 years, that you had a hearing uh, dealing with reparations uh, in Congress, okay? So, uh, some of you saw my uh, Facebook Live broadcast I did on uh, Wednesday, June 19th, dealing with that, and uh, on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, and my personal page, Michael M. Hotel, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. Then also, I talked about some of the history of Juneteenth as well, okay? And uh, we just uploaded the uh, three-hour Juneteenth uh, lecture that I that I did on June 11th, so that's available at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and uh, we also posted, I just posted on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, the African History Network, Juneteenth, Emancipation Day, but not Independence Day, we never got our 40 acres in the mule, Dr. King's Poor People's Campaign, we're coming to get our check, okay, so be sure to uh, order this at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, it's going to blow you away, I deal with a lot of history uh, in, this, uh, in this presentation, okay, so we'll talk some about uh, what happened uh, with the hearing, we'll deal with uh, some of the history of Juneteenth as well, and then we'll talk about Senator Mitch McConnell. Now, you've heard me talk about Senator Mitch McConnell, you've heard me talk about the uh, U.S. Senate, and Senator Mitch McConnell uh, is an obstructionist from, from Kentucky, okay, Republican from Kentucky, and Senator Mitch McConnell, you know, so, so different uh, members of Congress and the U.S. Senate were asked about uh, reparations and asked about H.R. 40. And uh, Mitch McConnell says it would be pretty, uh, he, he says, uh, quote, I don't think reparations for something that happened 150 years ago for which none of us currently living are responsible is a good idea, right? So I, I find it interesting when you have people like this make statements like that, right? But they don't talk about treaties that have been in existence for 200 years or so that are still being honored by the U.S. government. They don't talk about how you have the uh, 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 descendants of Union soldiers who are still getting uh, pensions, 
okay, or Confederate soldiers for that matter, still getting pensions, their descendants, okay. So I, I find it interesting. And then they don't talk about the reparations paid to other people. You had about uh, twelve million dollars paid to Seminole Indians about 1970, 1971. We know that uh, uh, Japanese Americans were paid reparations as well uh, because of uh, being put in concentration camps in World War II. We know that uh, in the 2009-2010 stimulus package, there was almost $200 million in reparations paid to Filipino Americans because of an agreement between the U.S. and the Philippines going back to World War II. Okay, so I just find this very interesting. So we're going to dig into some of this history. And then uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, you know, I call him son of a Mitch, right? <laughs> we have to vote him out of office, right? Okay, he talked about how he had the nerve to say also, he said, quote, we've tried to deal with our original sin of slavery by fighting a civil war. Civil war wasn't fought to end slavery. Civil war was fought to bring the South back into the Union. That's why the Civil War was fought. Emancipation Proclamation, January 1st, 1863, that did not free the enslaved Africans. That was a military strategy that uh, Abraham Lincoln was using to bring the South back into the Union, and he threatened the, the, the Confederate states, the states in rebellion, that if you do not come back into the Union, your slaves will be free. That was a military strategy. Now, when you go to LOC.gov, Library of Congress website, or you go to archives.gov, National Archives, and you actually read the Emancipation Proclamation, it tells you that the states that uh, uh, still hold slaves that are still in the Union, those, uh, uh, the, those states, those slaves are not free. So border states like Maryland, Kentucky, Delaware, Missouri, they were still able to hope they were still able to maintain their slaves. There were a million uh, uh, enslaved Africans that were not freed who were in states that stayed loyal to the Union. So our whole understanding of this history is backwards. So Senator Mitch McConnell had the nerve to say, uh, we tried to deal with our original sin of slavery by fighting a civil war, by passing land, landmark civil rights, uh, legislation. Then he went on to say, quote, we've elected an African-American president. I think we're always a work in progress in this country. Well, wait a second. I remember you having a meeting shortly after President Obama was elected and said that you're going to do everything. You and the Republicans are going to do everything they could to make him a one-term president. I remember you blocking his nomination for Supreme Court, Merrick Garland. For, and, and kept that, kept that uh, uh, Supreme Court seat open for an entire year did not allow Merrick Garland to have a hearing. So how could you, on the one hand, say that you, you, you elected the, the, uh, uh, the, the U.S. elected the first African-American president? Ain't like you helped get President Obama elected, by the way. Let's just keep it real. It's not like Senator Mitch McConnell helped President Obama get elected. Okay? But then how could, how could you do everything you could to block his policies, block his nomination for the U.S. Supreme Court. Not only that, block his nominations after 2014 for the federal bench for the most part. So when Trump became president, there were about 100 uh, federal bench vacancies. These are lifetime appointments. How could you do all that and then somehow claim that as a victory for, for, for America trying to make up for the legacy of slavery, Jim Crow segregation, redlining, things like these, the, the uh, maldistribution of wealth, power, and resources. So we, got, we have to talk about Son of a Mitch tonight also, because this is ridiculous. Senator Mitch McConnell says he's against reparations and cites the election of President Barack Obama, even though he worked to block his policies and nominations. Then yesterday at the, uh, so, so the Encobra conference took place. 
National Coalition of Blacks uh, for Reparations in America. All right. So I was at the uh, Incorpor Conference. Uh, let's see. Uh, Friday it was at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, and then Saturday it was at uh, Timbuktu Academy, one zero eight hundred East Canfield Street. Right. So I caught up with. Um, Dr. Dr. Leonard Jeffries showed up yesterday. I didn't even know he was coming. Dr. Leonard Jeffries, Dr. Rosalind Jeffries. So Dr. Leonard Jeffries is one of my teachers. You've heard him. Uh, you've heard me interview him a number of times. Dr. Greg Carr, chair of the Afro-American Studies Department at Howard University, was there. You see Dr. Greg Carr. You've heard him here on this show. And you, you've seen him on uh, Roland Martin's show, News One Now, with Roland Martin on TV One, and then on Roland Martin's daily digital show that we uh, share on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, basically every day, Roland Martin Unfiltered. Dr. Mario Beatty from Howard University, professor at Howard University, who also, among other things, teaches a class on the metal netter, the hieroglyphics at Howard. Um, so they were all there. Dr. Ray Winbush uh, from Morgan State University, who, who you've heard me interview before, he was there as well. Uh, so we're going to have them on the show the next few weeks because things were so busy, I couldn't catch up with them to get interviews. But I did interview Dr. Mark Thompson. Um, uh, and you see him on um, MSNBC, AM Joy, and I also interviewed uh, Rose Sanders, uh, a founder of the uh, Voter Die campaign out of Selma, Alabama. So we'll share the interview tonight with you that I did with Dr. Mark Thompson uh, dealing with H.R. 40, because he, he was actually at the H.R. 40 congressional hearing. Okay, We'll talk some about that. Next week I'll share with you the interview I did with uh, Rose, Sand Rose Sanders, uh, who's a longtime activist. And um, I talk about Rose Sanders in some of my presentations because in 2016 in some Alabama, she was uh, registering African Americans to vote. And this was during the special U.S. Senate election where Doug Jones was running against Roy Moore, right? And we know Roy Moore has announced he's going to run again, accused of being a pedophile, things like this, right? And she talked about how she was threatened with death. There was a, there was a white, she was registering uh, African Americans to vote. And there was a white man who threatened her with death for, for engaging in this. And this, is in, this was in 2016. Okay, oh, and I actually remember this uh, uh, special election was actually not 2016. I think it was 2017 special election. I think it was 2017. I know uh, Roland Martin interviewed her about this in some of my presentations. You, you've seen me talk about this as well. So I'll share the interview I did with Rose Sanders next week. Now, it's interesting that all of this is taking place at the same time. So uh, yesterday was the uh, celebration of life for uh, uh the Honorable Kwame Kenyatta, former city council member, uh, that took place at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. I was at the Encobra Conference both days, so I couldn't make it over there for that. Uh, we saw the Adasi uh, uh, ancestral ceremony that Dr. Kofense Chike uh, organizes, and you, you hear him on um, uh, on 19 a.m. also, uh, Mr. Malisha Bass show. That was uh, Saturday morning, 7 a.m. Couldn't make it to that, okay? Because <laughs> I, I overslept and woke up at 6:30, <laughs> and I had to get to the to the conference to be able to set up. But also, June 22nd, 19, June 22nd was the anniversary of President Franklin Roosevelt signing the GI Bill. The GI Bill. And when we talk about a maldistribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and we talk about the legacy of slavery and how policies, government policies, were put in place to segregate communities, to allocate uh, resources into the hands of, 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 of white, uh, white Americans at the expense of African Americans, the GI Bill is cited historically as one of those policies that greatly helped to do this. 
Well, the GI Bill was signed on June 22nd, 1944 to help World War II veterans, right, get uh, uh, to go to school, get uh, funding to go to college, uh, get low interest loans to buy homes, to get uh, loans to start businesses. But African-American soldiers were largely discriminated against using the GI Bill, even though their taxpayer dollars are paying for that. Now, why didn't the GI Bill benefit African-American GIs? We're going to talk about that tonight. That ties right into the legacy of slavery. So when people talk about reparations, one, that is, is not talking about blaming white people who are living today for what happened decades, centuries ago. Okay? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about holding uh, 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 the American government accountable because slavery was written into the U.S. Constitution. Article 1, Section 9 of the U.S. Constitution, Article 4, uh, Article 4, uh, Section 2 of the U.S. Constitution laid the foundation for the future of the slave laws, okay? We understand the formation of the, uh, uh, not just the Three-Fifths Compromise, but the Three-Fifths Compromise of 1787 ties into the creation of the Electoral College. And the Three-Fifths Compromise is dealing with how do, uh, how do you count the enslaved Africans uh, in the states, how how does their population count towards how many seats in the House of Representatives slaveholding states get? And this gave an advantage to the southern states who had slaves to have more enslaved Africans because uh, uh, three-fifths of the population was counted of the slaves that they held and that went toward their overall population and that gave them more seats in the House of Representatives. It did not state that there were three-fifths of a human being. That's a misunderstanding. We've had Dr. Paul Finkelman here on the show, historian, author of 50 books, author of a book dealing with Thomas Jefferson and slavery. We've had him here on the show to break that down. You've heard me talk about that before, and you can read Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 of the U.S. Constitution. Go to LOC.gov, the Library of Congress website, archives.gov, uh, and, and, and you can read that. That's a total misunderstanding of history. Okay? So we're dealing with... Uh, the, the, the Constitution uh, uh, drafted at the Philadelphia Convention 1787, debated in 1787, signed September 17, 1787, the U.S. Constitution sanctioned slavery. So we're talking about policies coming from the federal government. The, the, the New Deal, the Minimum Wage Act of 1935, the uh, Homeowners Loan Corporation in 1933, which created the redlining, uh, the whole redlining system. The uh, uh, Federal Housing Administration of, of 1934, the Social Security Administration 1935. These are all government policies that now distributed wealth pound resources into the hands of white Americans. So when we talk about reparations, it's not about blaming white people for what happened decades ago or centuries ago. It's holding America accountable for laws they put in place that now distributed wealth pound resources. This is what we're talking about. Okay. All right. So we have to deal with the GI Bill. And then also, uh, June 6th, we saw all this commemoration, all this celebration, 75th anniversary of D-Day, June 6, 1944, 155,000 U.S. troops land in Normandy in France. Right. Well, by the, by the coverage that you saw in mainstream media, like MSNBC, you would think there were no black, uh, there were no black soldiers there. In, in, in Normandy. There were almost 2,000 that landed June 6, 1944. One of them was Megar Evers, civil rights activist, field secretary for the NAACP. And the, the, the contribution of African-American soldiers 
to D-Day was largely overlooked. How is that possible? I don't even understand that. So we'll talk about that as well uh, on tonight's show. So, uh, now on the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man's thoughts, you, you can control the circumference of his actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now we deal with a number of different topics here on the show. We deal with current events and, and um, history, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828. Sign up for our, for our email newsletter. Also, uh, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can uh, register there as well. want to let you all know that uh, my new online course has just started. It's an eight-week, 16-hour online course, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade with a Den Teacher in School 2019 edition. Ancient Kemet, which is one of the original names for Egypt. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade with the Den Teacher in School 2019 edition. Um, that, so that uh, is meeting online Wednesday, June 26, 2019. We kick off. We do, it, we do it live at our online school. The sessions are archived. You can go back and watch them over and over again. Visit AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com uh, for more information and to register. All right, we'll be back in a few minutes, 9, 10 a.m., the Superstation of Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel, the African History Network show. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome to the Fast Life 28-Day Challenge. Imagine what your health could look like after 28 days of a structured fasting regimen, healthy habits, and three coaches holding you accountable on a daily basis. Here's your chance to move from imagination to realization. The Fast Life 28-Day Challenge is here to help you. Visit their website, tfl28.com. Now, this is an online coaching program to help members tap into their body's natural ability to repair itself via fasting. In this 28-Day Challenge, they focus on utilizing fasting, whole foods, and movement to improve metabolic conditions such as obesity, high blood pressure, pre-diabetes, type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol, and more. This is a 28-day program. There is also a private Facebook group to give you tips and encouragement. Also, they have a new cohort starting up very soon. So visit their website, tfl28.com, for more information for the Fast Life 28-Day Challenge. Hey, down here. It's us, your feet. We want to tell you something you already know. It's time to buy yourself some new shoes. Have you heard of the Knickknackery Co? It's the hottest new place to buy women's shoes online, and they have some unique soles for your soul. The Knickknackery Co's signature soles are handcrafted in small custom batches by professional artisans. A careful eye to detail delivers styles that are both timeless and on trend. And they're constructed to last. The best part? They're as comfortable for us as they are stylish for you. 
for sophisticated women who love quality and uniqueness. You can't beat the Knickknackery Co. Visit us online at www.shopknickknacks.com. Follow us on all social media. There are no shoes we'd rather kick it with because they are very sophisticated for the soul. Two thousand nineteen is here, and there's no better time to start working on your financial goals. My name is Martisha Patterson, and I am a certified financial planner with over nineteen years in the wealth management industry. I am helping people just like you focus on and achieve their goals. If you need help with budgeting, saving for emergencies or retirement, if you want to start investing but don't know where to start, I am here to help. No need to feel alone or frustrated. No one's situation is the same, which is why you need a certified financial planner to develop a unique plan tailored to your specific needs. Contact me today. My phone number is 646-552-4384. Again, 646-552-4384. Or email me at pattersonplan17 at gmail.com. My website is pattersonplan17.com. No more excuses. Now is the time. My name is Martisha Patterson, and I am here to help. Dark Magenta specializes in creating home spa products based on nature's healing and soothing properties. Dark Magenta carries essential oil and cannabidiol infused bath bombs, shower steamers, sugar scrubs, and soaps. They include oils and herbs such as lavender, rosemary, eucalyptus, sage, cedarwood, oatmeal, shea butter, cannabidiol, and more. They also carry oil diffusers and 100% pure essential oils. Visit their website today at darkmagentas.com. That's M-A-G-E-N-T-A-S, darkmagentas.com, and indulge in these treats for the body and the mind. Are you interested in how Wall Street works? It is interesting how certain opportunities are not presented to our community, especially when it involves billions of dollars that are being exchanged every day through the stock market. Why should you be left out and not get a piece of the action? TheProfitRoom.com is a stock market trading and equation company that has mentorship programs that are designed for beginners. They teach individuals how to create generational wealth through trading and investing in the financial markets. They focus on education such as stock market, options, futures, and the foreign exchange markets. Their specialty is day trading and offering one-on-one -on -one mentorship. Their priority deals with capital preservation and risk management. Visit their website, theprofitroom.com forward slash wealth building theprofitroom.com forward slash wealth building for more information and sign up for their online classes that they offer also. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation of Future Radio. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Sunday, June 23rd, 2019, and uh, we are back after being off for a couple of weeks. And uh, I was out of town in Atlanta last weekend. And um, this weekend I was at the Encobra conference, Encobra reparations conference, so I did some interviews there. Also, Sister Starla Muhammad of the Final Call uh, newspaper interviewed me as well. So uh, look out for that interview either this Monday or the following Monday. You'll see the interview that she did with me. Visit finalcall.com. Okay? 
okay? All right, so uh, those watching on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, I just posted the online. I just posted the link where you can register for my new online course, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Maafa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school, 2019 edition. If you register for one of the previous classes I've done, because this is the first time I've done it live since September 2017. There's a lot of new archaeological discoveries that have come out, a lot of new information. So this is this is why this is uh, 16 hours. The previous one was 12 or 14 hours. If you if you took one of the uh, if you took this class previously, email me at customer service at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, customer service at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and um, I'll uh, we'll, we'll register you at fifty percent off. Okay, because this online course is uh, eighty dollars, and we do it live, but all the classes are archived. Okay, so you can go back and watch it over and over again. You can watch from around the world as well. Okay. And then uh, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. My new present, my latest uh, lecture that I did June 11th. This is a three-hour presentation dealing with the history, the real history of Juneteenth. Uh, Juneteenth, Emancipation Day, but not Independence Day. We never got our 40 acres in a mule. Dr. King's Poor People's Campaign. We're coming to get our check. All right, this is on sale $10. Okay, so uh, this past week, I mean, so much was going on. I mean, not even talking about Donald Trump's craziness, right? Not even talking about that. Um, and we and we have more Democrats who are calling for uh, 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 to start the impeachment inquiry. I think it's close to it's about 68, something like that. You got another Democrat for whatever reason just decided to run for president. <laughs> so it's now at 24 or 25. We'll see how that goes. But um, we know that uh, Juneteenth just happened as well. So when we look at Juneteenth. Right, Juneteenth commemorates June 19, 1865, when General Gordon Granger of the Union Army delivered Special Field Order Number 15 in Galveston, Texas, and this was letting the uh, enslaved Africans in Texas in general, because he's going through different cities, letting the 250,000 enslaved Africans in uh, Texas know that they were free. Now, this was two weeks after the Civil War ended. Civil War basically officially ends June 2nd, 1865. All right, now. Um, and we know that also you're going to have some slave owners that withhold this information from their enslaved Africans to get another year's worth of work and harvest out of them. So some of them, a lot of them, some of them are not going to be freed till 1866. The majority are going to be freed then, but some are not going to be freed to 1866. And if you saw the um, the video that I did, it's on our YouTube channel, Michael M Hotep, I M H O T E P. It deals with um, how new research shows that about 40% of slave owners from 1850 to 1860 were white women. We know that uh, one of the women named uh, Martha Gibbs um, held her slaves until 1866. The History.com, the official website of the History Channel, has an article dealing with this, dealing with the little-known history of, of, uh, of women female slave owners. Okay, So check that out also. All right. Now, on June 19, uh, 2019, a hearing on H.R. 40 was held in the House Judiciary Committee. And we saw some of the uh, people that Democrats had to uh, testify. We saw uh, Tanya Hesse Coates, who wrote the fantastic article for the, the expose for the uh, Atlantic, uh, Atlantic magazine called The Case for Reparations. And that was in, uh, that was in 2014, all right? And I have my copy of it here, put in a plastic bag to bring it to the uh, studio. Okay, this is I, I think this was the first copy of the Atlantic I ever bought. 
okay, when this when this uh, article came out, you can read it online. But I said, no, I gotta buy. I have to buy this, okay. And uh, this brother, uh, Tony Hesse Coates, did his research. He was there testifying and giving some historical background information, okay. Dealing with slavery, dealing with the maldistribution of scarce wolf pound resources. You're dealing with 246 years of slavery, 90 years of Jim Crow, 60 years of separate but equal, 35 years of state-sanctioned redlining. All these are government policies. Until we reckon with the compounding moral debts of our ancestors, America will never be whole. You also saw our sister, Dr. Julian Malvo, okay, who's an African-American female economist. You've heard me interview Dr. Julie Malvo here on this show before. You see her uh, each week on Roland Martin's uh, daily digital show, Roland, Roland Martin Unfiltered. And Dr. Julian Malvo was dropping the science as well and tying uh, the history into economic disparities, the wealth disparity. We saw also the, um, the report from the uh, Brookings Institute. Uh, dealing with how segregation, how segregation taxes costing Black American homeowners 156 billion dollars in value. You heard me talk about that on this show. Uh, we see the article from Curbed.com, C-U-R-B-E-D, Curbed.com, November 27, 2018. How a segregation tax is costing Black American homeowners 156 billion dollars. A new Brookings Gallup report finds residential property in majority black neighborhoods is consistently undervalued. So all this deals with the legacy of slavery. It's not about blaming, it's not about blaming, you know, people who are living today for what happened then. But what we're talking about is these these issues, these problems were created by federal government policies and laws. So it's gonna be federal government policies and laws that create that, that correct the disparities. And one of the things that uh Tana Hesse Coates talks about in his uh uh article, it's about a seventeen page article for the Atlantic, the case for reparations. One of the things he talks about in here is dealing with housing. And we know that for many people their home is the uh largest piece of wealth or the, 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 the greatest thing of value that they own. He talks about how um, black families making $100,000 a year typically live in the kinds of neighborhoods inhabited by white families making $30,000 a year. Quote, blacks and whites, he's citing uh, uh, the, 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 the study done by Sharkey, who is this, Dr. Sharkey? Patrick Sharkey, okay. Uh, sociologist at New York University. And Dr. Sharkey said, or, or Patrick Sharkey said, quote, blacks and whites inhabit such different neighborhoods. That is not possible that, that uh, blacks and whites inhabit such different neighborhoods that it is not possible to compare the economic outcomes of black and white children. All right? Well, all this deals with legacy of slavery. But what happens is Americans, you've heard me say this before, Americans are woefully ignorant of history. This is why this study from the Southern Poverty Law Center called Teaching Hard History of American Slavery is so important. Teaching Hard History of American Slavery. I talked to Dr. Ray Winbush yesterday uh, about this study uh, from Morgan State University and, and, and you'll hear uh, 
we'll, we'll get them back on the show in the upcoming weeks. Go to splcenter.org, splcenter.org, which is the Southern Poverty Law Center's website, and you can download this 52-page study called Teaching Hard History of American Slavery. And what this study does is it documents how the history of slavery is being incorrectly taught in American schools, not schools that have a predominantly African-American population, but American schools, period. Okay, and it gives numerous recommendations to more correctly teach the history of slavery. Now, what so they, one of the things they did in this study is they did a survey of 1,012 graders, okay, seniors, high school seniors, 1,012 graders, and they found that only 8% of 12th graders surveyed knew that slavery was the, was the central reason why the Civil War was fought. Only 8%, okay. 68% did not, 68% of 12th graders survey did not know that it took a constitutional amendment to legally free the enslaved Africans. Okay, that's the 13th Amendment. They had to amend the Constitution. Why did they have to amend the Constitution? Because the Constitution legalized slavery. Okay, so the foundation of law in this country is the U.S. Constitution. And we know Article 6 of the U.S. Constitution says that all of the, it says that the U.S. Constitution is the supreme law of the land and all, all of the previous treaties and all of the subsequent treaties are the supreme law of the land. So if 68% of high school seniors, regardless of race or ethnicity, did not know it took a constitutional amendment to formally end slavery, what does that mean? It means two things. Number one, it means the school, the teachers didn't teach them. Number one. Two, it means their parents didn't teach them. Okay? Now, this goes into the whole debate and the fight for reparations dealing with the legacy of slavery. America needs a massive history lesson. All this is tied into history. America needs a massive history lesson. Americans are woefully ignorant of history. Okay, so on Wednesday, June 19th, a hearing in the, uh, in the House Judiciary Committee subcommittee um, for H.R. 40 was held. Okay, and when we look at, if you go to uh, house.gov and search for H.R. Uh, 40, house.gov, search for H.R. 40, and I'll give you the actual, this is, you can actually read the actual bill. Now, some people are saying, oh, the, you know, this is, they're trying to pass this bill to, to get checks paid out. No, this is, this is to do a study. No, it, it, it's not to pay, it's not to, 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 to send checks out. This is to, <laughs> this is to study the legacy of slavery, the impact that it has on African Americans, and to come up with recommendations, okay, for reparations. Cash payments can be part of that recommendation, right? But if we actually look at, uh, if we go to, if you go to Congress.gov forward slash bill forward slash 116th Congress, or just search for h.r.40, okay, just search for that. And you want to look at the 116th Congress because Representative Sheila Jackson Lee has sponsored a, um, a revised H.R. 40. We know it was originally introduced in 1989 by John Conyers, Representative John Conyers. Okay? So when we talk about this, we got to give that brother credit because each year, when a new Congress was inaugurated each year, he reintroduced it and it didn't go anywhere in the Congress. But now, because of uh, midterm elections, Democrats have back control of the House of Representatives because you have things like uh, this article written by Tony Hesse Coates, okay, 2014. Because you have things like the um, the the, the U, uh, United Nations 
uh, panel in September 2016 that uh, did a report and said that the U.S. government owes reparations to African Americans. And you can read one of the articles written about that uh, from the Washington Post, September 19th, September 29th, 2016. The cost of slavery reparations is now within the boundaries of the politically acceptable. The cost of reparations is now within the boundaries of the politically acceptable. That's September 29th, 2016. So you've had some things that have happened steadily to uh, keep propelling this. We know it came up in the 2016 elections as well. Some people say, oh, they we're talking about reparations in 2016 elections. Well, that means, one, you don't listen to this show. Two, that means you don't study politics. Hillary Clinton talked about it. Bernie Sanders talked about it as well. Also, Jill Stein talked about it. I still think Jill Stein was working for Russia. You heard me talk about that before. I, think, I still think Jill Stein was working with Vladimir Putin, but that's a whole other conversation. Go listen to, to the archives. I break that down. Um, it came out came up in the 2008 election as well because uh, President Obama said, you know, for, for whatever reason, he said he was against reparations, okay? Now, personally, let's keep it 100. If he said he was for reparations, you know damn well he would not have been elected. I mean, let's just keep it real, okay? But if we look at the revised bill introduced uh, January 3rd, 2019, this is when uh, Democrats uh, were uh, sworn in, the new 116th Congress was sworn in. Commission to Study and Develop Reparation Proposals for African Americans Act. Here's what it says. The bill establishes the commission to study and develop reparation proposals for African Americans. Okay? People are scared. Oh, they're, they're, they're going to start sending out checks next week. No, that's not. No, no. Listen. Okay, <laughs> calm down. All right. The bill establishes the commission to study and develop reparation proposals for African Americans. The commission shall examine slavery and discrimination in the colonies and the United States from 1619 to the present and recommend appropriate remedies. Appropriate remedies. Why? Because this is a long-lasting problem created by the government. Okay? Now, among other requirements, the commission shall identify, one, the role of federal and state governments in supporting the institution of slavery. The role of federal and state governments in supporting the institution of slavery. Two, forms of discrimination in the public and private sectors against freed slaves and their descendants. Okay? The uh, uh, forms of discrimination in the public and private sectors against freed slaves and their descendants. And three, the lingering negative effects of slavery on living African Americans and society. Okay, so this is what the, the commission is uh, investigating. Now, if you look at the, uh, this is what is proposed that the commission investigates, okay? It, it has to pass the House and the Senate, all right, this bill. Now, if you look at the article from the New York Times, June 19, 2019, entitled Digging into America's Dark Past, Digging into America's Dark Past. House panel makes history by exploring reparations, okay? Uh, New York Times, this article is written by Cheryl uh, Gay Stolberg, S-T-O-L-B-E-R-G. Pretty good article, okay? Uh, in the article, it talks about how um, it is, it, it, is uh, it, it talks about the, the bill, Commission to Study and Develop Reparation Proposals for African Americans Act now sponsored by Rep Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, a Democrat of Texas. Um, and it would author the, the bill would authorize, if it passes, 
it would authorize $12 million for a 13-member commission to study the effects of slavery and make rep recommendations to Congress dealing with um, um, reparations, dealing with remedies. Because reparations, we're talking about repairing damage that's done. Reparations is dealing with repairing damage that was done. Okay, now, if we, um, I'm going to, now Tana Hesse Coates uh, testified, and I'm going to go to, um, let's go to his opening statements here, okay? And he also, in his opening statements, he also responded to Senator Mitch McConnell. Let's go to this clip. And then turn it up here so they can hear on Facebook. Turn up and can you turn up some more here? That's as high as I can go, unfortunately. It, it's hitting nicely on the thing, so. No, so I can hear Facebook. They hit a they hit a they hit another button so it plays in the studio. Oh yeah, I got you. While it's on the air. It's generations. Yeah. Just but well into this century, the United States was still paying our pensions to the heirs of civil wars. Yesterday, when asked about reparations, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell offered a familiar reply. America should not be held liable for something that happened 150 years ago, since none of us currently alive are responsible. This rebuttal proffers a strange theory of governance, that American accounts are somehow bound by the lifetime of its generations. But well into this century, the United States was still paying out pensions to the heirs of Civil War soldiers. We honor treaties that date back some 200 years, despite no one being alive sign those treaties. Many of us would love to be taxed for the things we are solely and individually responsible for. But we are American citizens and thus bound to a collective enterprise that extends beyond our individual and personal reach. It would seem ridiculous to dispute invocations of the founders or the greatest generation on the basis of a lack of membership in either group. We recognize our lineage as a generational trust, as inheritance. And the real dilemma posed by reparations is just that, a dilemma of inheritance. It is impossible to imagine America without the inheritance of slavery. As historian Ed Baptist has written, enslavement, quote, shaped every crucial aspect of the economy and politics of America, so that by 1836, more than 600 million Almost half of the economic activity in the United States derived directly or indirectly from the cotton produced by the million-odd slaves. By the time the enslaved were emancipated, they comprised the largest single asset in America, $3 billion and $1860 more than all the other assets in the country combined. The method of cultivating this asset was neither gentle cajoling nor persuasion, but torture rape, and child trafficking. Enslavement reigned for 250 years on these shores. When it ended, this country could have extended its hollowed principles, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to all regardless of color. But America had other principles in mind. And so for a century after the Civil War, black people were subjected to a relentless campaign of terror, a campaign that extended well into the lifetime of Majority Leader McConnell. It is tempting to divorce this modern campaign of terror, of plunder, from enslavement. But the logic of enslavement, of white supremacy, respects no such borders. And the god of bondage was lustful 
and the gap, many heirs, coup d'etats and convict leasing, vagrancy laws and debt peonage, redlining and racist GI bills, poll taxes and state-sponsored state terrorism. We grant that Mr. McConnell was not alive for Appomattox, but he was alive for the electrocution of George Stinney. He was alive for the blinding of Isaac Woodward. He was alive to witness kleptocracy in his native Alabama and a regime premised on electoral theft. Majority Leader McConnell cited civil rights legislation yesterday, as well he should, because he was alive to witness the harassment, jailing, and betrayal of those responsible for that legislation by a government sworn to protect them. He was alive for the redlining of Chicago and the looting of black homeowners of some $4 billion. Victims of that plunder are very much alive today. I am sure they'd love a word with the majority leader. What they know, what this committee must know, is that while emancipation dead bolted the door against the bandits of America, Jim Crow wedged the windows wide open. And that is the thing about Senator McConnell's something. It was 150 years ago, and it was right now. The typical black family in this country has one-tenth the wealth of the typical white family. Black women die in childbirth at four times the rate of white women. And there is, of course, the shame of this land of the free, boasting the largest prison population on the planet, of which the descendants of the enslaved make up the largest share. The matter of reparations is one of making amends and direct redress but it is also a question of citizenship. In H.R. 40, this body has a chance to both make good on its 2009 apology for enslavement and reject fair-weather patriotism, to say that a nation is both its credits and its debits, that if Thomas Jefferson matters, so does Sally Hemings, that if D-Day matters, so does Black Wall Street, that if Valley Forge matters, so does Fort Pillow, because the question really is, not whether we will be tied to the somethings of our past, but whether we are courageous enough to be tied to the whole of them. Thank you. Okay, so that was um, writer Ta-Nehisi Coates testifying Wednesday, uh, June 19th at the uh, House Judiciary Subcommittee dealing with H.R. 40. Okay, 313-778-7600 um, is the call and number. If you have a question or comment, there was a call, a call or call back. I think it was Greg. Call back. 313-778-7600 is the call and number if you have a question or comment. Okay, so um, in his uh, expose in the June 2014 issue of The Atlantic, and also you can read, you can read The Case for Reparations by Tanya Hesse Coates, at theatlantic.com. You can read it online also. Um, he, he started out talking about um, an African-American man named Clyde Ross. Clyde Ross, who was born in 1923. And Clyde Ross, is uh, he was the seventh of 13 children near, uh, near Clarksdale, Mississippi, the home of the blues. And Clyde Ross is going to um, eventually move to uh, Chicago, okay? In the 1920s, Jim Crow Mississippi was, in all facets of society, a kleptocracy. The majority of the people in the state were perpetually robbed of the vote. A hijacking engineered through the trickery of the poll tax, the muscle of the lynch, uh, the muscle of the lynch mob between 1882 and 1968. 
more black people were lynched in Mississippi than in any other state. Uh, if you go to NAACP.org, NAACP.org, the official website of the NAACP, they have a they have a page there dealing with the history of lynching, and uh, there were 4,743 uh, people lynched in this country from 1882 to 1968. Um, Mississippi had the most number at 481. So you've heard me talk about that before, and when you had the uh, public hanging woman, Cindy Hyde Smith. Uh, who's the U.S. Senator from Mississippi, and she made her comments about a public hanging. We talked about that uh, because that, that that history came out, okay? And when different uh, events take place in the news, different things are said. Uh, uh, when you have uh, incidences that take place that have a historical context, then the history comes out and it causes the truths to come out. Okay, so from 1882 to 1968, uh, there were 4,743 people lynched in this country. 1,297 were white. Okay, because a lot of people don't know, you know, the Ku Klux Klan and other Ku Klux Klan-like groups, they were not just lynching African Americans, but also uh, white Republicans and lynching Jews as well. Okay, so um, there were 3,446 African Americans who were lynched during that period of time, 1882 to 1968. So um, Mississippi had the most number of lynchings, 481. It was also in Mississippi that... Um, Mega Evers was shot and killed, okay, June 12, 1963. We just commemorated the anniversary of his assassination. It was also in Mississippi, so that was in Jackson, Mississippi. It was also in Mississippi, August 28, 1955, that Emmett Till was lynched, okay. That was in Money, Mississippi, okay. It was also in uh, Mississippi that Goodman, Schwerner, and Cheney were killed, the civil rights workers, okay. That was um, uh, June 21, 1964, if I remember correctly. That was in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Okay, so Mississippi has a long history of this. And then it was also in Mississippi in 1954 that the White Citizens Council was founded as a direct backlash to the Brown versus Board of Education desegregation ruling, okay, in May of 1954. So all this history is tied together. You have to understand the chronology of history. Okay, so uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates goes on to say the majority of people in the state of Mississippi were perpetually robbed of the vote, hijacking engineer through the trickery of the poll tax and the muscle of the lynch mob. Between 1882 and 1968, more black people were lynched in Mississippi than in any other state. Quote, you and I know uh, what's the best way to uh, keep an N-word from voting, end quote, blustered uh, Theodore Bilbo, B-I-L-B-O, a Mississippi uh, state senator and a proud Klansman. Quote, you do it the night before the election, end quote. You do it the night before the election. So one of the things that one of the things that came up during the hearing is how lynchings and violence will have been historically inflicted upon African Americans. We're talking about after slavery, during Reconstruction, during Jim Crow, after uh, Plessy versus Ferguson, uh, 1896 U.S. Supreme Court case to terrorize African Americans, to scare them out of voting. Dr. Julian Malvo talked about the Wilmington Massacre of 1898 in Wilmington, North Carolina. She mentioned uh, Christopher Everett's documentary, Wilmington on Fire. Well, uh, Christopher is a friend of mine, uh, so I knew about the documentary long before it came out. I need to get him on the show to talk about this as well. You know, she talked about uh, the, the, the attack on Black Wall Street, the massacre on Black Wall Street, uh, uh, June uh, 1st, uh, uh, 1921.
okay? She talked about, I can't remember if she talked about Rosewood, but we've talked about Rosewood, the Rosewood Massacre, um, uh, January of 1923 in Rosewood, Florida. And, and in that case in Rosewood, African Americans were ran off of their land, okay? They had a population of somewhere around 200 African Americans, Rosewood, ran off their land, fleeing for their lives, left their land behind, and the land was confiscated, taken over by white people, okay? So this is the history. So when we, once again, when we talk about this history, I know we have different listeners, you know, to the show, and different ethnicities listen to the show, things like this. When we talk about this history, this is not hate speech, because I know on YouTube they have new social media rules and things like this, dealing with hate speech, kicked us out of the monetization program. It, it, it sent me an email saying my videos now don't qualify for the monetization program, but couldn't tell me what I said that was wrong, what actually violated that program, okay? So I just so okay, it is what it is, whatever. But so we're talking about understanding history of this country, and we're talking about rectifying, correcting the history. Okay, this is what we're talking about. So this is not hate speech or anything like that. All right. So that's on page fifty-six of uh, Tony Hesse Coates' uh, article. Okay, dealing with the case for reparations. So he he goes on to talk about Clyde Ross. Then we're gonna go to the phone lines in just a second. So hold on. Clyde, he said Clyde Ross had tried to get a legitimate mortgage in another neighborhood but was told by a loan officer that there was no financing available. The truth was that there was no financing for people like Clyde Ross because he was African American. From the 1930s through the 1960s, African Americans across the country were largely cut out of the legitimate home mortgage market through means both legal and extra legal. Legal and extra legal. Chicago, uh, white people in Chicago employed every measure from Restrictive covenants to bombings to keep their neighborhoods segregated. Okay, restrictive covenants dealt with in the deeds uh, on the, uh, for the homes. It was written into the deeds that they could not sell that home to someone who was non-white to keep to segregate to keep the community segregated. Okay, their efforts specifically targeting African Americans. All right, if you were Asian, you may be able to slide, you know, but this is specifically targeting African Americans. This is a legacy of slavery. Their efforts were buttressed by the federal government. In 1934, the U.S. Congress created the Federal Housing Administration. The FHA insured private mortgages, causing a drop in interest rates and a decline in the size of the down payment required to buy a house. This was government policy. This was part of the New Deal. Okay? But, and so on the surface, it's good. The problem was the way it was administered, discriminating against African Americans. The, the discrimination was not written into the law. It was the way the, the, it was the way the money was actually distributed. Now, but an, an, but an insured mortgage was not a possibility for Clyde Ross. The Federal Housing Administration had adopted a system of maps and rated neighborhoods according to their perceived stability. This is called redlining. Redlining was created by the Homeowners Loan Corporation, which is another government entity created by the New Deal, created by the U.S. government, that enables the Homeowners Loan Corporation created in 1933, that created the whole redlining system used by banks to give out mortgages, used by insurance companies to determine how much your insurance rate is going to be. Okay, so the FHA had adopted a system of maps that rated neighborhoods according to their perceived stability. On the maps, green areas rated with the letter A indicated in demand, I-N, in demand, neighborhoods that, as one, uh, as one appraiser put it, lacked, quote, a single foreigner or a Negro, end quote. D, 
These neighborhoods were considered, ex considered excellent prospects for insurance. Neighborhoods where African Americans live were rated with the letter D and were usually considered ineligible for, for federal housing administration backing. They were colored in red. Neither the percentage of African Americans living there nor their social class mattered. Neither the percentage of African Americans living in these areas or nor their social class matter. African Americans were viewed as a contagion, viewed as a contagion. Redlining went beyond FHA-backed loans and spread to the entire mortgage industry, which was already rife with racism, excluding African Americans from most legitimate means of obtaining a mortgage. All right, let's go to the phone lines. Let's go to... Uh, Joe, line one. Joe, welcome to the African History Network show. Thanks for holding. Tell us where you're calling from. From Metro, De Metro Detroit. Okay, we're coming up on a break in a minute, but go ahead. What I'm calling for is I enjoy every Sunday information that you put out. Oh, thanks. I hear a lot of people talking about reparations. Mm -hmm. And my, my argument about reparations right. is as a people, we're not going to get reparations until we recognize that we got to come together and stop being weak. See, a house divided against itself can never stand. Right. We had to understand our history and recognize ain't nobody coming for us. See, too many of us are... I, I'm going to try to say it in the clean way. Okay. Too many of us are individuals and not collective, if you understand what I'm trying to say. Sure. You can't separate yourself from who you are. Okay. You can't hate who you are. Right. You can't be afraid of who you are. You you, you got to be a man. And as 60 coming up in my life, I watched us as weak individuals. I watched leaders come to the city and look at Negro preachers mm -hmm. and say, I can, we can take this from them, but they don't have no backbone. Right. And that's, that's going to be the real problem and the test. Farrakhan made a statement. Mm -hmm. And when he made that statement, if he ever been true, he was true. And I'm going to leave it right there. Okay. Yeah, we're coming up on a break also. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for holding. You listen to the African History Network show, 910 AM Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. 313-778-7600. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation, the Future Radio. Hey, I'm your host, brother, Michael M. Hotel. It is Sunday, June 23rd, 2019. Uh, call in numbers 313-778-7600, 313-778-7600. Right before the break, we were talking about the uh, congressional hearing that took place June 19th, 2019 on Juneteenth, dealing with H.R. 40. We were dealing with some history. I was talking about, uh, I was quoting from Tana Hesse Coates' um, 2014 front page article from The Atlantic called The Case for Reparations. The Case for Reparations. You can also read that full article at theatlantic.com. Okay? Um, 
be sure to visit our so those watching on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network. We just posted the link for the uh, new lecture that I just did, uh, June 11th, 2019. It's a three-hour presentation. Juneteenth History, Emancipation Day, but not Independence Day. We never got our 40 acres in the mule. Dr. King's People's uh, Poor People's Campaign. We're coming to get our check. So this is a three-hour presentation. I do with a lot of history here. I do with why Juneteenth was Emancipation Day and not uh, Independence Day. Uh, I deal with uh, why Abraham Lincoln was not an abolitionist, why the Civil War was fought, I break down the, Emanci the Emancipation Proclamation of September 22, 1863, which was the initial Emancipation Proclamation, and then the actual one we know about, uh, January 1, 1863. I deal with the 400th year anniversary of Jamestown, Virginia, uh, August 20, 1619, even though African people were in the land we call the U.S. going back at least 51,700 years. And then also in 1619, slave statutes did not exist in the 13 colonies also. Okay, the first slave, the first colony to have a slave statute or slave laws is Massachusetts in 1641. I deal with uh, how Malcolm X was calling for a unification of the civil rights leaders as well while he was still in the nation of Islam. And I talk about Dr. King's Poor People's Campaign and uh, him, after the, him talking about how we were locked out of a, a massive land giveaway of hundreds of millions of acres of land after the Civil War ended. Okay, so this is at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. It's on sale $10. And then, uh, and also sign up for the uh, register for the uh, uh, new online course that uh, I'm teaching, and that is on Wednesdays. It, 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 it will be this Wednesday, June 26, 2019. Uh, it's a eight-week, sixteen-hour online course. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Maafa understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Okay, so we do a thousand years of history. We do a better understanding of the transatlantic slave trade, and I deal with all of this chronologically. Okay, we can't start studying the transatlantic slave trade in the mid 15th century. We have to deal with uh, the 800 year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors, who take the teachings from ancient Egypt, ancient Kemet, into Europe, and this brings Europe out of the Dark Ages. All right, so we posted that link there. Also, visit AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, you can register there as well. Okay, let's go uh, back to the phone lines. Let's go to line two. Let's go to this arrow. How you pronounce your name? Arrow. Okay. All right, Arrow. Uh, tell us where you're calling from. I'm from Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi. Okay, that's where uh, yes, Mega Evers was. Okay. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, just drop a lot of knowledge about that. Uh, I just want to comment on a couple of things. I don't know how much time I got. Go ahead. But I was just hearing you talk about the, the man uh, Ross. I was just reading. Clyde Ross. Clyde. Clyde Ross. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Uh, Y'all please come to the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum in Jackson, Mississippi and check it out. Uh, okay. The, uh, they, they talk about Clyde Ross in the museum? Yes, sir. It's the Civil Rights Museum. It's brand new. Uh, right. It's beautiful. It's huge. Mm -hmm. A lot of exhibits, a lot of information. Over the course of two days, I spent 10 hours in it to see everything. Oh, wow. And, uh, the, 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 the directors, I met the directors and the security guards who are police and state officers were all very excited that a man of my demographic uh, would come in and, and, and spend him a time of dedication. And I sort of got a name for myself around here, so they, they let me break a couple rules. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, go ahead. Did you have another comment? This, 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 yes, I heard. This is Prospect Hill. I'm reading about the United Missionary Ann Ross. This revolutionary war veteran Isaac Ross founded Prospect Hill Plantation after settling in De Jefferson County in 1808 mm -hmm. in Mississippi. Ross died 28 years later. His grandson, Isaac, 
inherited the plantation and its people and the people enslaved. The plantation slaves grew cotton, wage shipped to New Orleans via steamboats. Ross uh, freed the families enslaved people in his will, but Wade contested the document and maintained slavery at the plantations. After a long legal battle, the Mississippi Supreme Court upheld the original will, and some and some three uh, hundred Ross family slaves. Hello. Uh, immigrated to West Africa and founded the Mississippi colony in Liberia. Okay. Uh, What's the name of that article? One thing. Uh, that's that's at the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum. Okay. This, this is about Prospect Hill. Prospect Hill. Uh, okay. I, I, I had to go to my Instagram page. I'm at Walsh Red on Instagram. I have a lot of followers in Detroit. Okay. And, uh, and they and um, this is this is one of them. I also want to talk talk about the uh, the the slave concentration camp in Natchez, Mississippi, the Devil's Punch Bowl. Devil's Punch Bowl. Yeah, I've talked about that before. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was uh, well. You know about it. That's fine. You know, I got a couple of things. It's a quote from uh, one of the uh, editorial in the Vicksburg Sun back in 1860. A large plantation of slaves are the goals of every Southern gentleman's ambition. All who dare to aspire at all look to this as the goal of their ambition. Right. Uh, then you have, you know, John Quitman who owned slaves, um, and eventually uh, he, he was the first the leader of the cessation statement. From Mississippi. So, you know, I know a lot about the history. The secession, yeah. The statements of secession. The statements of secession of Mississippi uh, declaring that they are seceding from the Union. Yeah. Right. And uh, New, uh, John Quitman was a governor. He was a New York native, which I always found crazy. He was a carpet bagger who they mm -hmm. didn't like, but he came. Uh, that's crazy. So, you know, because they had a real problem with that. The carpet baggers and the scallywags, as they call Right, right. Coming from the and, north. Uh, and, yeah. A planner is a, a slave owner who owned more than 20 slaves. And he was a planner, and he was a lawyer, and he served as a major in the Mexican-American War in between the two terms. He had two terms in Mississippi. Uh, he equipment owned more than 300 slaves and argued that now that new U.S. territory should be open to slavery. After his involvement in the unauthorized military expedition to Cuba to take Cuba, Quitman had to resign to defend himself in federal court. Quitman pressed uh, for a white, uh, a white Southern nation based on slavery, slavery, but he died before Mississippi left the Union. Right, right. Okay. So uh, all, of this, all this is stuff that I, you know, took pictures of, whatever, in the Civil Rights Museum. But I, you know, I have a plethora of information. I'm in the reading Nikola Tesla and Walter Russell right now. Okay. So, uh, Absolutely. All right, Errol, keep listening, man, and visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and uh, also register, if you can, register for the online course that I'm teaching as well, eight-week, 16-hour uh, online course also. All right? I'll look into it after Okay, no problem, man. Okay, keep listening. All right, thanks, bro. All right, thanks. Okay, let's go to uh, line three. Let's go to John. Line three, John, welcome to the African History Network show, and uh, tell us where you're calling from. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm calling from the east side of Detroit. All right, John. Uh, oh, Tim, thank you, man. You gave the people tonight a real, real good education and knowledge, man. Oh, thank you. So I, I have to tell you, I, I really appreciate that, and I hope the people heard it, that mm -hmm. they appreciate it. Now, you said that only 18% of the, of the students no, eight percent. No, no, only no, only eight percent. The 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 study teaching hard history American slavery from the Southern Poverty Law Center. They did a survey of one thousand high school seniors, and only eight percent 
of the high school senior survey knew that slavery was the central reason why the Civil War was fought. Yeah, well, that's what I, I, I'm amazed. Uh, I, I'm going to ask you, what is these uh, African-American companies teaching? I, I, I know a lot of people that, that don't know this, probably don't want to know, but the African-Americans, college students, shouldn't know a, a half a lot more than that. Right. Well, 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 this, well, keep in mind, this study was done across the country. So it wasn't yeah. just, it, it was it was looking at high school students of all ethnicities, not just African-American high school students, okay? I'm not sure of the racial makeup. It may tell in the study. I don't remember the racial makeup of the 1,000 high school senior survey. And this is looking at schools all across the country, not just uh, schools that have a predominantly African-American uh, student body or uh, 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 teaching staff, okay? So it's looking all across the country. Right. Well, these are these are high school students. Yeah, these these are high school. These are high school seniors, twelfth graders. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I'm thinking they're going to be college students. Some of them are college students, boy. No, no. I'm I'm interested in knowing that about the college okay. students. Okay. Uh, I hope just I just did wanted to say you know that uh, next week I, I'm hoping that. Uh, these, these African Americans, uh, Congressmen, the Senator, uh, let, let this, this character, uh, Ken Trigger, know that he's ignorant and he don't know what he's talking about. Who, who are you talking about? Who are you talking about? Talk about the, the, the Senator down there. I, I, okay. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. Even when he spoke up today, he didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Right. And I was, I want some of these, uh, the black senators to let him know that he was wrong and two left Okay, John. Thanks for calling. Thank you. All right. Well, they're, and and they're 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 only uh, okay. Thanks, John. And they're they're only they're only well. There's three black senators in the U.S. Senate. Tim Scott, Black Tea Party Republican of South Carolina, is, is siding with Mitch McConnell. As Tim Scott oftentimes does. And then uh, Senator Cory Booker is more concerned about going after Joe Biden because Cory Booker is polling at about 4% of national polls. He's lost ground over the past few weeks. So he's more so, so Senator Cory Booker is going after Joe Biden harder about Joe Biden talking about uh, working with uh, segregationist Democrats who were senators in the U.S. Senate to get bills passed, because if you know anything about the U.S. Senate, that, that, that's what you have to do to get bills passed, okay? And then he, he and, and, and Cory Booker is talking about being hurt by Joe Biden's uses of the word uh, boy, and if you saw Joe Biden on uh, Politics Nation on June 22nd, uh, Reverend Al Sharpton show, uh, MSNBC, he talked about how the reason why uh, the, the, the U.S. Senator, um, Esau, I think was his name, uh, called him yeah. son was because he yeah. thought Joe Biden was too yeah. young always, to be in the U.S. Senate. He said so. He, so he said he, he didn't call me senator. He called me son. But he also said on um, Reverend Al Sharpton show that that same uh, Esau, that same U.S. segregationist senator, who was a Democrat, he called Senator Ted Kennedy boy who was white. So, 
this this whole thing is a bunch of BS. Really. If you actually understand the full context and the full this whole thing is a bunch of BS. I guarantee you, Cory Booker was not running for president. If he if he was polling at like twenty percent as opposed to four percent, this wouldn't even be an issue. So my thing is, you're talking about, he's on CNN talking about the words or hurtful things like that. If you're a black man running for president in a country that's 63% white, if you hurt by the usage of the word boy, you need to drop out right now. Because I guarantee you, it's going to be a whole lot more hurtful words coming your way. If you're so sensitive and hurt by that, come on, man. Come on. But anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. Okay. Should Biden apologize? Yeah, he should apologize just so people stop talking about it. If you actually understand the full context of this, and he's talking, and, and see, the, the, the thing that a lot of people don't want to talk about, right? A lot of those segregationist Southern Democrats, they're going to end up leaving the Democratic Party and go to the Republican Party, where they are right now, with, with, along with people like Senator Mitch McConnell. That's where they are now. So the the whole I I listen to the back and forth and I listen to Dr. Jason Johnson I listen to you know some African Americans it was, it was hurtful and all this I'm like are you serious Did you listen to the full comments This is a bunch of nonsense You you just had Donald Trump this past week double down on not coming out and admitting the Central Park Five had been exonerated after he took out a full page ad in the New York and in, in four New York Daily newspapers calling for the death penalty to be brought back so they could be put to death. After DNA evidence clears them, after they had been totally exonerated, he's still siding with the prosecutors and things like this. All this came about because of the uh, four part documentary that's on Netflix from director Ava DuVernay called When They See Us. Uh, African American journalists for American Urban Radio, April Ryan asked Trump this question about the Central Park Five. Remember in 2016 campaign, it came up, and he and and, and, she, and the reason why she asked him about it is because he is in uh, the first installment of the four part. Uh, it's not a documentary; it's a uh, mini series. Mini series, okay? You know, I prefer documentaries uh, over mini series like this when we do a history. But anyway, so. She asked this question, he doubles down because he's ignorant and he's a white supremacist. This is what he is. Okay? He didn't want to admit he made a mistake. He didn't he you know, he didn't want to admit they've been exonerated. And these boys have gotten deeper with him now. They've received death threats also. Okay? So you got I mean, instead of people talking about that more so than Biden's comments, and then um, uh, Trump, it was either Tuesday or Wednesday this past week, he had his official uh, rally announcing he's running for re-election. And he's really running for re-election to, to run out the statute of limitations of some of these charges. That's, that's, what, they're, they're, um, that's what they're really about. So, you, on MSNBC, they show footage of white supremacists outside his rally Waiting to get inside, flashing white power symbols. Or the alleged white power symbol because they hijacked the OK symbol. We talked about the history of that. A lot of that started as a hoax on the 4chan um, white supremacist uh, 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 board, uh, chat board, whatever it's called. So instead of people focusing on that, they're talking about Biden. The whole thing's a bunch of nonsense. I'm like, look. If Democrats are going to go after their front runner on this, you're going to self-destruct.
I mean, I'm just keeping it real with you. You gonna you, th that happened on Wednesday? They were still talking about it yesterday and today on MSNBC. You still going after your front runner over that? After what happened this week with Trump, you must want to lose. All right, we'll go back to the phone lines in just a minute. Uh, three one three seven seven eight seventy six hundred is the call in number if you have a question or comment. Three one three seven seven eight seventy six hundred is the call in number if you have a question or comment. Now. On um, Stephanie Rule's show on MSNBC, June 20th, she talked to Dr. Uh, Jason Johnson, political uh, politics editor at TheRoot.com, and uh, she also talked to Donnie Deutsch. And they were talking about um, the hearing that took place with H.R. 40. Okay, let's go to this clip. Peter McConnell cited civil rights legislation yesterday, as well he should because he was alive to witness the harassment, jailing, and betrayal of those responsible for that legislation by a government sworn to protect them. He was alive for the redlining of Chicago and the looting of black homeowners of some $4 billion. Victims of that plunder are very much alive today. I am sure they'd love a word with the majority leader. Journalist and author Ta-Nehisi Coates going directly at Majority Leader Mitch McConnell during yesterday's congressional hearing on reparations. On Tuesday, McConnell said he doesn't believe reparations are necessary and that the U.S. has made enough major gains by passing civil rights legislation and electing an African-American president. Jason Johnson, Donnie Deutsch back with me. Jason, what's your reaction to Coates' comments and put into perspective the whole picture and how strategic Mitch McConnell is, whether you like him or not. Uh, so two things. One, what Coach said was brilliant. It's true. It's factual. You know everything about how the Republican Party feels, that Democrats put up like an economist and a PhD and a brilliant writer, and the Republicans put out a, a Columbia junior and another guy who was a former NFL player from the 1970s. The absolute refusal to even have discussions. Remember, this is just for a bill to research it. The refusal to even but have a discussion. people don't realize that, Jason. People don't realize this is just for a bill to discuss how do we improve things. Right. And, and Mitch McConnell's attitude is basically, I don't care. Because Mitch McConnell isn't overly concerned about addressing the inequality in our government and our economy and the lack of humanity with which large swaths of America are perceived. Reparations is not just an issue about feeling good. I don't care about feeling good. I care about a nation that is justified in its behavior. I care about a nation that treats me and people who look like me fairly. I care about a nation that acknowledges the fact that these policies didn't just magically end when the civil rights movement ended and Martin Luther King was killed, that there's still massive discrimination in the economy and in our government and in criminal justice today. To the degree that Mitch McConnell doesn't want to address that, he defines what the Republican Party is today. Donnie? Mitch McConnell, the fact that he's the ignorance and the abhorrence of saying, oh, we elected a black president, so that I kind of oh, even, yeah. evens the score of the most deplorable history notion of who we were as a country with slavery. Having said that, and I keep going back to the world is not okay until we beat Donald Trump. You want to you solve racial issues, you want to you you solve immigration issues, and that this issue Forget that the issue itself, morally and nobly, is the, is the right thing to talk about and address. Weaving it into the political discourse in this political campaign is going to be very damaging to the yeah. So I am just talking just about, right I want this evil man out of office. Jason, to this point. And, and, and by the way, giving... Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation WFDF. 
Uh, I'm Michael M. Hotep, host of the African History Network show. It's Sunday, June 23rd, 2019. So we're talking about uh, the H.R. 40 congressional hearing that took place Wednesday, June 19th, 2019, on Juneteenth. All right. And then also, um, go watch the video I did on uh, June 19th also. I dealt with some of the history, uh, briefly some of the history of Juneteenth, but I dealt with the congressional hearing. Okay. That's on our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. And our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, click on videos. And also my latest lecture, um, I, didn't ha I did not have this with me in Atlanta because I was in the process of converting it to D DVD and editing it. But it's a three-hour presentation I did on uh, June 11th, and it deals with the real history of Juneteenth, um, why, it's why it's Emancipation Day and not Independence Day. Uh, Juneteenth history, Emancipation Day, but not Independence Day. We never got our 40 acres in the mule. Dr. King's Poor People's Campaign, we're coming to get our check. I deal with a lot of history here. Also deal with August 20th, 1619, Jamestown, Virginia. I deal with some of the history of those 29 Africans who were from Angola, uh, who were originally on the San Juan Batista uh, slave ship that was owned by the Portuguese. And when they come into Jamestown, Virginia in 1619, contrary to popular belief, there are no slave laws in those 13 colonies. First slave laws come into existence in Massachusetts in 1641, okay? So we have this at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. I also posted the link on, on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network. This is on sale $10. And um, you know, register for my online course that we have. Uh, uh, session number two uh, starts up this Wednesday, June 26th, uh, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they did teach you in school. Kemet's one of the original names for Egypt. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they did teach you in school. This is a uh, eight-week, 16-hour online course, okay? Session one, we did an intro to this information. Uh, we do it live. All the sessions are recorded, so as soon as you register, you can watch session one. There's also about 36 hours of bonus content. And the, the, the previous class that I did, uh, September 2017, is there as well, archived. You can watch that also as soon as you register. So it's on sale, $80, regularly $130. You can watch from all around the world. You can watch it over and over again. And uh, we do with uh, this history chronologically as much as possible, okay? So when we discuss the transatlantic slave trade, we have to first understand that African people are the original people of North, Central, and South America and have been in what we call the United States at least 51,700 years. And that's based upon archaeological evidence. We look at, we're dealing with the Khoisan, who have the oldest DNA on the planet. They're the ancestors that I knew in the Twa. They come from southern Africa, the short-statured Africans, and they go all around the world. We can't start studying our history in slavery. Even when we study the transatlantic slave trade, which is important to study, we can't start in 1619 or in the 1440s when the Portuguese get involved because the Portuguese dominate the transatlantic slave trade for the first 200 years. We have to understand the history chronologically chronologically and deal with the 800-year occupation of the Africans known as the Moors who enter into the Iberian Peninsula, today known as Spain and Portugal, from North Africa, They're going in usually through Morocco, in 711 A.D. This, uh, so we, we deal with all this history and what the, what the Moors teach the Europeans is going to bring Europe out of the Dark Ages. They're taking teachings from ancient, Kemet, ancient Egypt into uh, Europe and they bring, they're taking the light from ancient Kemet into Europe and bring Europe out of the Dark Ages. And this is going to lead to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. Okay? All right, so 
register for that, and uh, we'll see you in class on Tuesday. Okay, let's go back to uh, the clip I was playing right before the break. This is, once again, from Stephanie Rule's show, MSNBC Slavery Reparations Bill Debated at House Hearing from June 20, 2019. Let's go back to this clip. I keep coming back to evil in the White House, got to get it out, maybe it's a discussion for another day. And this takes you back to Joe Biden. Exactly. Well, you didn't, many people can say, why is he saying that? Mm -hmm. This week the president doubled down on his take on the Central Park Five, right. who in, in 1989 he took out an ad in the New York Times and said, let's bring back the death penalty. We're not talking about that, and we're talking about how right, Joe Biden should have chosen different people's names to say. Would Is this a mistake? With our discussion of the Central Park Five, with our discussion of deportation, the concern Hello? that a lot of people have out there is that if Joe Biden has these kind of attitudes, he's just going to be Donald Trump light. And that's what people... But is Donald Trump light better than Donald Trump? If you're still he's dying a, in the streets a, and if you're being Joe Biden is a far way from Donald Trump. Yes, he is, but the perception that he would be Donald Trump light is a legitimate concern on the part of How voters. How much time is left in that clip? Okay, that's Done. Okay, bring back on. All right, so uh, check that out, MSNBC.com. Slavery reparations bill debated at House hearing, okay? Now, uh, we'll go back to the phone lines in just a minute. Phone lines are lighting up as well, okay? 313-778-7600 uh, is the call-in number. Okay, I'm going to give you a name of some of these articles here because we're running out of time. I still want to still want to talk about the uh, GI Bill. Okay, D Day we'll probably have to get to next week, uh, next Sunday. But uh, I may do a special. I'll probably do a special broadcast this week talking about it yeah. as well. Welcome to the Fast Life 28 Day Challenge. Imagine what your health could look like after 28 days of a structured fasting regimen, healthy habits, and three coaches holding you accountable on a daily basis. Here's your chance to move from imagination to realization. The Fast Life 28 Day Challenge is here to help you. Visit their website, tfl28.com. Now, this is an online coaching program to help members tap into their body's natural ability to repair itself via fasting. In this 28-day challenge, they focus on utilizing fasting, whole foods, and movement to improve metabolic conditions such as obesity, high blood pressure, pre-diabetes, type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol, and more. This is a 28-day program. There is also a private Facebook group to give you tips and encouragement. Also, they have a new cohort starting up very soon. So visit their website, tfl28.com, for more information for the Fast Life 28-Day Challenge. Hey, down here, it's us, your feet. We want to tell you something you already know. It's time to buy yourself some new shoes. Have you heard of the Knickknackery Co? It's the hottest new place to buy women's shoes online, and they have some unique soles for your soul. The Knickknackery Co's signature soles are handcrafted in small custom batches by professional artisans. A careful eye to detail delivers styles that are both timeless and on trend. And they're constructed to last. The best part? They're as comfortable for us as they are stylish for you. For sophisticated women who love quality and uniqueness, you can't beat the Knickknackery Co. Visit us online at www.shopknickknacks.com. Follow us on all social media. There are no shoes we'd rather kick it with because they are very sophisticated for the soul.
2019 is here and there's no better time to start working on your financial goals. My name is Martisha Patterson and I am a certified financial planner with over 19 years in the wealth management industry. I am helping people just like you focus on and achieve their goals. If you need help with budgeting, saving for emergencies or retirement, if you want to start investing but don't know where to start, I am here to help. No need to feel alone or frustrated. No one's situation is the same, which is why you need a certified financial planner to develop a unique plan tailored to your specific needs. Contact me today. My phone number is 646-552-4384. Again, 646-552-4384. Or email me at pattersonplan17 at gmail.com. My website is pattersonplan17.com. No more excuses. Now is the time. My name is Martisha Patterson, and I am here to help. Dark Magenta specializes in creating home spa products based on nature's healing and soothing properties. Dark Magenta carries essential oil and cannabidiol infused bath bombs, shower steamers, sugar scrubs, and soaps. They include oils and herbs such as lavender, rosemary, eucalyptus, sage, cedarwood, oatmeal, shea butter, cannabidiol, and more. They also carry oil diffusers and 100% pure essential oils. Visit their website today at darkmagentas.com. That's M-A-G-E-N-T-A-S, darkmagentas.com, and indulge in these treats for the body and the mind. Are you interested in how Wall Street works? It is interesting how certain opportunities are not presented to our community, especially when it involves billions of dollars that are being exchanged every day through the stock market. Why should you be left out and not get a piece of the action? TheProfitRoom.com is a stock market trading and equation company that has mentorship programs that are designed for beginners. They teach individuals how to create generational wealth through trading and investing in the financial markets. They focus on education such as stock market, options, futures, and the foreign exchange markets. Their specialty is day trading and offering one-on-one -on -one mentorship. Their priority deals with capital preservation and risk management. Visit their website, theprofitroom.com forward slash wealth building. Theprofitroom.com forward slash wealth building for more information and sign up for their online classes that they offer also. All right. Uh, check out the article from uh, the New York Times, Digging into America's Dark Past, House Panel Makes History by Exploring Reparations, uh, New York Times. Um, Dr. William A. Darity, Jr., who's a professor of uh, public policy at Duke University, uh, who's writing a book about reparations, uh, he uh, stated in a telephone interview with the New York Times, uh, talking about the uh, hearing that took place, he said that, uh, quote, we have not had a conversation about reparations on this scale or level since the Reconstruction era. Okay, Reconstruction, 1865 to 1877. Uh, quote, to be blunt, I am more optimistic than I ever have been in my life about the prospect of the enactment of a reparations program that is comprehensive and transformative. Okay, and um, he's a professor of public policy at Duke University. Now, uh, nearly 60 House Democrats, including Speaker Nancy Pelosi, support the bill, H.R. 40, and at least 11 Democratic presidential candidates with, uh, with former Vice President Joseph Biden um, 
a notable exception, have embraced either the concept of reparations or the bill to study it. Now, in the broadcast I did uh, on June 19th, uh, talking about the hearing, I did it after the hearing took place, uh, I cited a spokesperson for Joe Biden. I haven't heard him talk specifically on reparations, but there was an article from uh, Vice.com, and I want to get the exact quote here, okay? So let me um, pull this up. I want to get the exact quote, and it dealt with, uh, let's see here. Name of the article is Democrats want to tackle reparations, but Joe Biden isn't. Joe Biden isn't so sure. Okay, so here is what a spokesperson said. I haven't heard Biden say this himself. Here's what a spokesperson said. This article is from June 19, 2019. Also, and let's let's see. Let's scroll down here. Biden has staked out a position as somewhat old-fashioned moderate who would. Uh, who would welcome compromise with Republicans, blah, 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 let's see. Um, all right, I'll pull, I'll pull up the exact quote I have to find. Since that, uh, okay, I have, to, I have to find the exact quote here. It's in this article. I'll get to it. Let's do this. Let's go to, uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Let's go to who we have, uh, Chuck. Chuck. Chuck, line 48. Chuck, thanks for holding, man. Uh, uh, welcome to the African History Network show. Tell us where you're calling from. Thanks, Mike. Uh, calling from Detroit. Okay, Detroit. Go ahead with your question or comment. Yes, sir. Uh, listen, um, have you read the book or heard the book uh, from uh, Michelle Obama? The book is called Becoming. I've heard of the book. I haven't read it yet, but I've heard of it. Oh, man, you got, you got to check that out for real. It goes deep into, uh, instead of hearsay, mm-hmm. it goes deep into uh, Michelle voice, you know, because I, I listen to um, the voice recorders, you know, books. Okay. You know, t- oh, uh, books on uh, books on CD, topics. books on tape, uh, books, audio books? Well, talking book topics due to my vision. Right. You know, and they have them in the library, talking book topics. Okay. And uh, Michelle Obama has uh, a book in particular called uh, Becoming. Becoming. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes deep into the philosophy of what it is when it comes to uh, the political arena. Okay. You know and it, it's deep, man, for real. The book is called uh, Becoming by Michelle Obama. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's deep, man. It's deep. Okay. And a uh, quick comment. Go ahead. Uh, I, want, I know you guys. Uh, uh, when it comes to uh, ethnicity, I mean, like, she in particular... You know, like you mentioned earlier, that uh, the DNA, mm-hmm. the genetics, uh, bloodline goes, right. you know, or, as well as the DNA was that deoxynucleic acid. The, the oxyribonucleic acid, that's what DNA stands for. Okay, yes. okay, that's like chemistry then, huh? Yeah. And uh, that, I think, you know, uh, those uh, things are very interesting when you expressed a certain parts of the anatomy as well as the blood, you know, the kidneys and the whole nine yard, you know. And uh, we got to watch out for them transplants. <laughs> right. So thanks for taking my call, man. And check out that book, man. Uh, it's deep, man. I, you know, for real. Uh, it's called Becoming by Michelle Obama, the number one first lady. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I understand, man. Okay. Uh, thanks, brother. Okay. Thanks, thanks for calling. All right. Um, let's see here. The quote from um, 
the Biden spokesperson said that uh, in a statement to Vice.com this week for a story about health care reparations, a Biden spokesperson said the former vice president, quote, believes that we should gather the data necessary to have an informed conversation about reparations, but he has not endorsed a specific bill, end quote, okay? Um, the article goes on to say that means, unlike the majority of the 2020 field, Biden does not necessarily support a reparations commission. The latest issue separating him from the progressives, he, uh, from the from the progressives he's running against. Okay, so I haven't heard Biden specifically say that himself, but this is a spokes an unnamed spokesperson uh, who spoke with Vice.com. Okay, so read this article uh, from Vice.com, June 19, 2019, entitled uh, "Democrats Want to Tackle Reparations, But Joe Biden Isn't So Sure." And the article goes on to say. Um, let's see here. Uh, his statement on reparations matched that of a candidate perfectly content to play it safe, as his critics have charged. Um, Dr. William Darity of uh, Duke University, uh, a professor of economics, African American studies, and public policy at Duke University, and a leading scholar on reparations, said in, in reference to Biden, he said, quote, I have the sense that he is trying to play to a segment of Trump's voting base that he thinks can be swayed to vote for the Democratic Party again, okay? Mm -hmm. Consequently, there's absolutely no way yes. he would indicate that he was supportive of any aspect of a move to achieve reparations gotcha. for black American descendants of folks who were enslaved, gotcha. end quote. Now, that's Dr. William Darity. So read this entire article. I don't have time to get through the whole article. Read this entire article from Vice.com, V-I-C-E. We'll post a link here on the uh, thread of the broadcast uh, on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network also, okay? Uh, let's do this. Um, i got to pull up this clip here dealing with uh, from uh, Dr. Julian Malvaux because I didn't send that clip to you. But I want to go to the interview I did with Dr. Mark Thompson, okay? So you see Dr. Uh, so I interviewed Dr. Mark Thompson at the uh, in Cobra Conference, uh, dealing with reparations. The national conference was held in Detroit. Uh, the 20th through the uh, June 20th through the 23rd, and we were at Timbuktu Academy, and we were talking about the hearing. He was actually at the hearing, uh, the HR 40 hearing. Okay, let's go to this. Uh, let's let's go to this uh, interview here. Okay, we'll get that pulled up. Uh, we'll get that. So that's coming up. And we had a good conversation dealing with uh, reparations. He talked about what's taking so long. He talked about the process. Let's go to this. Clip. Okay, it's on YouTube. It's the YouTube clip section. Gotcha. All right. The interview? The interview, yes. Okay. Okay, let's go to this clip. What's up, everybody? Hey, this is Michael M. Hotel, host of the African History Network show on 910 AM Superstation. Hey, I'm here with Dr. Mark Thompson. Uh, you've seen him on MSNBC a lot. We're here. We are here at the Timbuktu Academy of Science and Technology. We're here for the Encobra Conference dealing with reparations. Okay, how you doing today, Father? Thank you for having me. All right, absolutely. Appreciate you, appreciate you. No problem, man. I like seeing you on MSNBC. I like hearing you talk about the current issues, especially issues pertaining to African Americans. And we know that on Wednesday, June 19th, uh, in the House Judiciary Subcommittee, there was a congressional hearing dealing with H.R. 40 and dealing with uh, uh, reparations and a, uh, forming a commission to study reparations, the damage done to African Americans, and come up with proposals. So what, what did you think about the um, congressional hearings that took place? Well, first of all, thank you for having me, brother. No problem. I appreciate the important work that you continue to do. Thank you. And I hope you will keep it up. 
Absolutely. Um, the hearing was historic. Yes. Um, because this is a new HR 40 and HR 42.0, so to speak, no yes. longer. Whereas the previous bill mm -hmm. was about a study yes. of slavery. Yes. This is about studying what form reparations should take. Yes. Um, for slavery and all the vestiges. The vestiges, the legacy of slavery. Jim everything, Crow, everything. Redlining. Mentioned the whole thing. Absolutely. So uh, it was it was very, very important. And, you know, a brother just asked me outside, why is it taking so long? Yes. Um, well, those who would ask that probably wouldn't have made it when our people were enslaved. Exactly. That took several hundred years. Exactly. Well, it was 246 years of slavery. Yeah. 1619 to 1865. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, but then it's just, just, in, just in the 13 colonies. Yeah, just in 13 colonies. Yes. You want to get to the whole Caribbean and the whole... All 448 the years. Right. So, 1840 to 1868, 1888, basically, in Brazil. So, if we start counting, we might as well... <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. If we, want, if we think this is... We're going to have microwave revolution. Exactly. Um, but it, it, it built up to this, and so I, I think that the, the hearing was tremendous. Mm -hmm. I think it probably changed a lot of people's minds. Yes. I was saying to someone else in an interview earlier, mm -hmm. uh, who asked me you know, why the issue has become so mainstream. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said it's because of the continuum of struggle. Exactly. Not, it, it just didn't pop up one day. Exactly. This exactly. has been a continuum of struggle. Absolutely. And um, so, uh, in that regard, I, I think that uh, um, this is a very important day. Well, you know, this also deals with um, the power of the vote. Yeah. Because if African Americans and other people did not show up in midterm elections in November 2018, right, right. Democrats will not have taken control of the House of Representatives. Right, that right. means they are in control of all of the committees, the subcommittees. They can determine which hearings take place. This would not have happened, okay? And, and one of the things, you know, I, you know personally, you know, I think that should have been more historians on, on the panel. Uh, I know Dr. Julie Malvola, who's an economist. I've interviewed her before. She was superb. I think she really did a good job. Tana Hesse Coates, et cetera. But um, even with the lack of the number of historians on the panel, the, one of the great things that happened afterwards is that a number of articles have been written about this to get deep into the history and why reparations are important. And also, I was reading an article from the New York Times dealing with uh, how reparations doesn't been paid before, and they give all these other groups that got reparations. Uh, we deal with uh, Native Americans, Japanese after World War II, and this is a teaching moment also. So talk about the importance of that as well, because like you said, a lot of people think this is a microwave solution. And it's a long process. It is. It is a long process. And this is just the beginning in terms of legislation. Mm -hmm. You have a first time issue, you have a Speaker of the House in the legislation. Yes. You have a judiciary. Nancy Pelosi. You have a judiciary chair with the power to call a hearing. Right. Uh, what comes after that is markup. What comes after that is vote. Yes. Um, and there will be a vote for probably for the first time ever mm -hmm. on, uh, on reparations. And, you know, the power to vote is something. Yes, uh, Democrats know. Mm -hmm. um, if they didn't get it before, they got it now. They, right. You need a black vote. Yes. Uh, without us, you're not in power. Exactly. So if you want to stay in power, you have to respect uh, the things that we want and demand. Right. And one of those things, uh, most important, is reparations. So you have to listen now, and you have to do that. And, you know, it, I think it's also hard. I, I was saying to another sister, who was another interviewer with the final call about, mm -hmm. 
she was asking why this again so Sister mainstream. Stahl, I think that's what interview is what yes. Which is which is so mainstream. Yes. Why it's so mainstream. Mm -hmm. Even amongst white progressives. Yeah. Who we who we've seen over the past at the same time as reparations was building up. Right. In the past twenty years. Right. The LGBT movement. The LGBT movement. This is the women's movement has renewed itself, feminism. Right. Uh, uh, progressive white progressives uh, 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 making the case for uh, against income inequality. Right. It's only so long that you can demand justice in your situation. Right. And then when someone else's injustice presented to you, how how can how long can you look in the mirror, look, take yourself seriously without accepting that and ignore it? Absolutely. And, and so that's that created the environment. Yes. For Tana House's piece in Atlantic in 2014. That's right. That really helped propel it help, help in the Atlantic, which is which is a historic publication been around something like 140 years. years. And and yes. and an unassailable argument. Absolutely. He, he, did, he did the research. He did he did the work. It's the 17 page expose. Couldn't be knocked down. Exactly. So all of that I think has led to this moment. And you know we've seen other moments in the past that we thought big breakthrough. Right. But it's one big breakthrough on top of another big breakthrough. Exactly. Breakthroughs keep coming. Exactly. And so the next big break breakthrough will be something else will be there. Well, 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 lastly, you know, uh, 2020 elections are coming up. We hear the candidates uh, running. You have, right now, you got 24 Democrats running. Okay, after the first two debates, I think a lot going to drop out, number one. But what's, uh, some people are saying no reparations, no vote. My thing is, well, you must vote want Donald Trump for another four years. Because Trump ain't talking about reparations. And Mitch McConnell has already said he's against reparations. Well, if he stays as Senate Majority Leader, the vote is not going to come up in the U.S. Senate. Explain explain how we have to navigate through this. How long? Where is this going to air? Uh, YouTube, uh, Facebook, uh, uh, on 10 a.m. the Superstation WFDF here in Detroit, our Facebook fan page, the Application Network. So you want to stay on YouTube and not to right? Yeah. <laughs> so, as you know, right. Similarly, the question you asked me is if I address that, right. they may try to put you off like they put me off. Okay. So maybe, you know, maybe you want me to address it. But okay. I, I tell you what, I'll address it. Y'all already coming after me, so just stay on me. Don't come for this brother. He asked right. me, don't punish him. Right. Don't make him suffer right. for what I'm about to say. Okay. You are absolutely right. Right. What people do is, in terms of trying to divide mm -hmm. our people, yes. the black vote's the most powerful thing is. Yes. So you got to divide and conquer and discover. Mm -hmm. So what people do is, they latch on to an aspect of our movement mm -hmm. to kill two birds and one stuff. Right. So right. you can use, introduce people who don't know any better right. um, to a branch of our movement that never existed before. Mm -hmm. All right, and then at the same time, discredit the overall movement, right? Because then everybody else says, "But them people for reparations are crazy," right? Because they saying not to vote. Wait, nobody for reparations said that those of us who've been in the struggle exactly. And I never said in 1987. They ain't never said don't vote, right? Right. So anybody saying right. no reparations, no votes, right? You need to question it. Exactly. Y'all may never want to admit this, but I was at the end. Some of folk came okay, here. HR40. Yeah, yeah. Some of folk came here loaded for baby. Now you're in a situation where somebody yeah. comes ready for a fight. Mm -hmm. And ain't no fight. Right. You know, and they're right. looking for, for right. 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 And what I think people heard in that hearing, what I think people saw, some of you watching at home, mm -hmm. 
who said there's nothing to disagree with. Right. If you understand the history, there's nothing to disagree but with. But there's nothing on the table to fight about. So I, right. I said to some people who were there, I said, well, would you disagree with me? They couldn't come to us, so you start attacking me, you know. Right. Uh, because what people do. But it's, it, politics is politics. And, and like it or not, the reparations movement for, for decades, uh, in terms of grassroots, was housed within our Pan-Africanist and Black nationalist struggle. Yes. It married itself to the mainstream through John Collins. Okay, H.R. Ford in 1989. Right, right. Representative John Conyers. Who, yes. which, which proves that, you know, people do what they have to do to work in coalition. Mm -hmm. And that was, I was here, but I was too young. I'm still young, by the way. Right. Very young. <laughs> I'm, I'm a millennial. <laughs> and, and, and why did that happen? So, uh, you need a brother over here later. So, um, as a young person, right. then and now, I was too young to have made that decision, but the Pan Africanism movement, mm -hmm. the revolutionaries, made a decision to ally themselves with John Conyers, an elected Democrat right here. Mm -hmm. 13th Congressional District in, in the city of Detroit. Yes. Okay, so that 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 bid was made. Okay. You know, I, I didn't I didn't start that. Okay. I didn't create it. No, none was everybody who's working with Sheila Jackson Lee now and other members mm -hmm. of Congress. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I interviewed Nancy Pelosi. She said to me right. on camera, I was for HR forty. Okay. Oh, he went to her. But I didn't start it. That started with John Conyers. Okay. It, nothing happens in a vacuum. Exactly. As Dr. Clark said, there's a continuum of history. Right. So this didn't just pop up last week. Dr. John Henry Clark. Yeah, this, yes. is, this didn't pop up last week. Correct. So the decision was made in the reparations movement mm -hmm. to deal with it legislatively, which is not a reasonable house is going to happen. It's good. <laughs> it's going to be law. You, but let's, let's, no, but let's be practical. Let's go to the Supreme Court. Right. What's their history with us? No good. Mm -hmm. And right now, let's deal with something that's, let's deal with another movement. Let's deal with the women's movement. Mm -hmm. they're, they're illegally striking down women's laws to have access to reproductive choice, right. which is against the law. Roe v. Wade made that constitution. But nobody wants to take it to the Supreme Court because you don't have the votes. Right. If you go up there, they're going to strike down Roe v. Wade. So you see, it's not even strategic. Right. It's the same thing. We don't have the votes for reparations on the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. We, you, you can't expect the president in power now Right. To do an executive order. Exactly. And it's money, so Congress is actually supposed exactly. to appropriate Article One right. of the Constitution. So 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 uh, the numbers exist in Congress at the yes. moment. Yes. You got sixty co sponsors, the Democrats control the house. Mm -hmm. And you know, we can call uh, for the question. Up and down vote, roll call, see where people are. Um, and I think I think that's how how we move forward. And I think what people saw the other day, um, that's something that is tangible. Yes. Now, so when people say don't vote, it's funny how people say when they say don't vote, mm -hmm. they say don't vote for the Democrats. Right. <laughs> now, Trump is in the White House. Right. Right. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why don't we say if there are no reparations, don't vote for President Trump? Right. But nobody's saying, why? Why? Right. why just, I was trying to check that out now. Right. The Democrats are doing what they can do. They probably will pass the bill. Yeah. Because that's the steps you have: hearing, markup, vote. Right. And so this we're we're on our way. This is not to say there aren't contradictions. Sure. This is not to say that the Democrats uh, have not historically taken us for granted. We know they have. Right. But each time, each election cycle, you got to push that envelope. Exactly. Are you going to take push us for granted? This? Are you going to take it for granted? Take us for granted this time, or are you going to ask what our demands are? And one of our demands right now is that HR 40 be 
pants. This is a long struggle, and going nowhere. This is the struggle right. for reparations. And, and COBRA is the organization that's been leading this struggle. Absolutely. Let's pause it there. Okay, okay, we got to pause it there because we're running out of time. Watch the full interview. Uh, it's about 12 minutes uh, at our YouTube channel because I just uploaded it to YouTube. Michael M. Hotep, I M H O T E P, on YouTube. Watch the full interview there I did with Dr. Mark Thompson. Next week we'll have the interview I did with uh, our sister, uh, our warrior, Rose Sanders, okay? Um, I, I got to get to this clip here. This is Dr. Julianne Malvo. Uh, she was the economist, African American female economist, and I firmly believe. If she had been a man, they would have directed more questions to her. Uh, here she is. Uh, she was interviewed by David Gura on uh, MSNBC. Let's go to this clip. Okay. Uh, she was interviewed on Up by David Gura, uh, June 22nd. And she talked about um, the HR 40. She talked about the fight for reparations. She dealt with the legacy of slavery. And she's an economist. So she tied this into the wealth gap. She tied this into uh, the race pay disparity as well. Let's go to this clip. I'm David Gurren. Right now, there is a national debate gaining momentum on whether reparations should be paid to African Americans. But the idea of whether the United States should provide compensation to the descendants of slaves is anything but new. The legislation was first introduced in Congress three decades ago. This conversation goes back to just after emancipation. While some worry that it would be nothing more than a blank check on Americans' original sin, others are concerned it will take uh, more than money to end the racial wealth divide. During this week's hearing, economist Julian Malvo gave testimony on the structural inequalities that exist in this country today. We can go back and look at the minimum wage, which exclude farm workers in the South, which were predominantly black people, excluded domestic workers right. who were black women. And so these folks were excluded not only from the minimum wage, but also from the Social Security system. I want y'all Congress people to deal with issues of economic structure, how the economic structure has generated an inequality that makes it difficult for people to live their lives. When zip code determines what kind of school that you go to, when zip code determines what kind of food you can eat, these are the vestiges of enslavement that a lot of people don't want to deal with. Dr. Julianne Melville joins us now. She's an economist. She's the former president of Bennett College. And Dr. Melville, thank you very much for the time. I'm going to read one line from your testimony. You said, uh, it is not time but overtime to deal with the issues of economic justice and reparations that bring us here. Uh, I think there'll be a lot of people wondering about this moment, why this seems to be gathering such speed now. And what's your sense of that? Well, Dave, first of all, thank you for having me on. This is a, such an important issue. You see the wealth gap, and the wealth gap determines the quality of people's lives. African Americans have like a dollar for every $20 that white people have in wealth. We have 60% of the income. And so we have to understand why this happened. It's not because black people haven't done what they're supposed to do. People work very hard. It's because of the structural inequality that is built into our system. And that's the thing that I find very frustrating that people don't want to talk about. People like to talk about, they have those two Republican witnesses about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, right? Um, but Dr. King, back in the day, said we have come to the nation's capital to cash a check, but that check has been marked insufficient funds. That's the story of reparations and of H.R. 40. Dr. Malvo, how do you define this term? Uh, I mentioned that sense that it's a blank check, it's a check to those uh, who are descendants of, of <laughs> slaves. You talked about the need to focus on community uh, repair. How do you understand what reparations would look like, what form they would take? 
it's preliminary to have a conversation about the form that they would take. Mm -hmm. Let's just establish that they occur. Let's pass H.R. 40. Let's deal with a commission to study this. I think that we can see the damage that's been done to the African-American community. As I spoke to in my testimony, first of all, we've been denied the opportunity to participate. In other words, in 1862, the Homestead Act was passed, gave lots of land to lots of immigrants, but not black people. Number two, we have been denied the opportunity to accumulate. In other words, there have been laws that prevented black people from accumulating. Ida B. Wells began to document lynchings when black people had the nerve to compete with white folks in the uh, economic mainstream. And third, we've had public policy violence towards black people. So, you know, a lot of people want to reduce it to a check. I don't want to reduce it to a check. I want to talk about community repair, which may include a check and maybe not. Let me go from Dr. Malvo to Dr. Greer. Okay. and uh, oh, right here. Okay, uh, we're running out of time. Uh, uh, go to msnbc.com, watch that clip. That's from uh, David Gura, uh, June. Actually, that's from the day, June 23rd, 2019. And uh, we'll, we'll play that again next week because I want to make sure we got the sister in. Uh, that's called Revisiting the Issue of Reparations. Uh, David Gura interviewed uh, Dr. Julian Malvo. Okay, um, running out of time. Uh, the GI Bill, I'll, I'll talk about that. Uh, I'll do a special broadcast this week. Um, visit the uh, Black Agenda on Tour. Uh, the Black Agenda on Tour. Uh, Jace Johnson just sent me the uh, flyer. Uh, so I'll be on the Black Agenda on Tour in Chicago, Saturday, July 13th. It's 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. I'll be on the panel. She just sent me the flyer. We put it on our Facebook fan page. Special guest David Banner, hip-hop artist David Banner. You've heard uh, me uh, interview him as well on the show. Uh, so Michi X, Jace Johnson, Cassiopeia uh, are on the panel. Uh, visit the Black Agenda on Tour.com. It's hosted by Shay J. The Black Agenda on Tour.com. And um, when we look at the GI Bill, we know uh, June 22nd was the anniversary of the signing of the GI Bill signed by President Roosevelt in 1944. Even though it had a big impact on white Americans who uh, served in World War II, white men served in World War II, uh, it ultimately shut doors for the 1.2 million uh, African-American veterans. Okay, When lawmakers began drafting the GI Bill in 1944, some Southern Democrats feared that returning African-American veterans would use public sympathy for veteran, veterans to advocate against Jim Crow laws to ensure that legacy of slavery, Jim Crow laws, to ensure that the GI Bill largely benefited white people, the Southern Democrats drew on tactics that had previously uh, used been used to ensure that the New Deal helped as few African Americans as possible. During the drafting of the law, the chair of the House Veterans Committee, Mississippi Congressman uh, John Rankin, uh, played hardball and insisted that the program be administered by individual states instead of the federal government. Now, when you read the book, How White Folks Got So Rich, The Untold Story of American White Supremacy, they talk about that in that book as well. You've heard me talk about that book also, okay? Um, so John Rankin played hardball and insisted that the program be administered by individual states instead of the federal government. He got his way. Um, and Rankin was known for his virulent racism. He defended segregation, opposed interracial marriage, and had been and had even proposed legislation to confine, then deport every person with Japanese heritage during World War II. Okay, read this full article at History.com, the official website of the History Channel, how the GI Bill's promise was denied to 
a million black World War II veterans, how the GI's bill, how the GI Bill's promise was denied to a million black World War II veterans. Okay, sorry we can't take any more calls. Robert, call back next week. Sorry, uh, sorry about that. Uh, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Register for our online course. Uh, you can order my latest uh, DVD lectures there as well. Remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Right now, it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. Stay tuned for Pastor Mo. We'll talk to you next week. Peace. All right, guys. We're out of here. All right, guys. Um, so I'll talk to you all. We'll, we'll broadcast tomorrow. I'll post some links to the articles. There's a lot of information I didn't get to. Sign up for the online course also. We'll meet Wednesday, 8 p.m. Talk to you all later. Peace. Hold on. I'll put it on. Yeah, this is Pastor Mo. Who we have some here. What's up, brother? Oh, what's up? Mr. Fuqua Bay? Yes. Yeah, so, okay. Uh, yeah. More science more science America? Yes, okay, brother. Yeah, what up to y'all yeah, one uh, time? Pastor Mo. I'm going to come on the show. Yeah, my, his my, show my, is up next. On the teacher show. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and, and get, my, get, my, get my love to everybody. Just say what up to y'all. Awesome. Pastor Mo, the street sweeper. Yeah, love okay. to the great historian. Yeah, so I teach yeah, him how to trace on my brother. We love Absolutely. him. We thank God for him. So he's on 11, a, uh, 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Okay, yes, he's up next. All right, guys, got to go. Got to get out of here.